0: has purposed you to be here today, and and, uh, and I know that God has drawn you here today, so I believe you'll receive the word. So let's quickly pray, gather our thoughts, and really allow him to speak into our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the move that you uh, are doing all around the world, and we're just a part of your great movement. I thank you that we can Come together at a, at a time where it's so uncertain as it is now in our, in our world. And we can hear something that is certain, which is your word. Lord, heaven and earth may pass away, but your word remains. Your word will always take us through every circumstance, every season of our life. And Lord, I just pray right now that you open up our understanding, our hearts to receive and to believe in your word. Have your way, Spirit of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm continuing the series Catfish uh, Part 6. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like my social media accounts are all flooded with catfish stories. I mean, these, these, these people that are behind the scenes of Facebook and stuff, they're weird, man. I would just search something on, on Google, like wallets that are thin. All of a sudden, I've got all ads everywhere, thin wallets. But yeah, they, they, they're following you. They're watching you. Big Brother is watching you. Uh, let's, let's continue. So we're talking about what does it mean to know God, to walk with God, to say that I follow Him, when we say, I follow Jesus, what does that mean? So, so the gospel has been watered down so much that we have a generation that are rising up believing that this is what it means to follow Jesus. And I laid completely astray because we have thought that following Jesus simply means We close our eyes when the preacher says, we follow after whatever he instructs us to pray about, and then we say amen, and then we go back to our lives. That's following Jesus. And in this series, we're showing that that is not following Jesus, that God has given us clear indications and instructions in his word of what it means to follow Jesus. And today's my assignment. I'm mainly going to focus on the book of 1 John. I'm going to continue with the test of sin. So when we say we follow Jesus, how do we see sin? What is the relationship that we had with sin before we had Christ? And what is the relationship that we have with sin in relation to walking with Christ? So I'm not going to recap on the past weeks. You can catch up. I'm going to get straight into it. You know, I want you to understand context. Context is so important because in order to understand what a specific writer is saying, you need to determine what was happening in that particular time. So John was one of the last apostles of Christ that literally walked with him. He was uh, the same person that wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the gospel of John and and he's uh, in an old age and there was a time where now error was being preached. There were many false teachers that were arising in the church. They were bringing confusion. There were people that were rising from the Jewish people, and there were people that were rising from the Gentiles, twisting and perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ for their own selfish gain and all other motives. So, so in this particular book, especially 1 John, he's dealing with how do we know that someone is a genuine believer of Jesus? So John, one of the teachings that he's strongly dealing with is a a teaching of the Gnostics. So the Gnostics are those who claim to have superior knowledge. I've touched on it previously, but let me explain to you who these people were. There were teachers that said that they reached a level of understanding that even surpassed Scripture and that they were... um, that the philosophies or their understandings of God was supposed to be the right understanding. So John, in this letter, he's refuting that and he's showing that that's they, they, they're not of us, even to show that they were in the church, by the way. They were in the church, but somehow these teachings began to come and John begins to highlight those things. There were false teachers known as that Gnostic simply means knowledge. And in this particular teaching, there were two basic forms of their teaching. One is called uh, docetism. So the the docetism sect of these people, that word in the Greek simply means to appear. So what they taught was that Jesus actually didn't have a physical body. That when he came, he appeared to have a physical body, but he was some type of a mystic ghost-like figure that he actually did not become fully human like you and I. Because what they believed was that matter was evil. There was nothing in physical matter that could be pure. Their teaching was that only purity can only happen in the spirit. So they said if Jesus was pure, he cannot be man at the same time. That's why John deals in this gospel about this very issue. And he teaches that Jesus had a physical body. In fact, he said, if you don't believe that Jesus had a physical body, that you are, in essence, you are not in the truth. And John refutes that in the beginning verses of chapter 1. He says, I walked with him. I mean, you can't have any more evidence than that. He said, I walked with Jesus. He said, I touched him. He was a physical being. I heard him. I saw him. So when you read the opening verses of uh, 1 John chapter 1, he talks about his personal experience. To refute strongly against the Gnostic teaching that Jesus was some kind of a ghost-like figure, that he cannot be man, he cannot have a physical body, because the physical body is dirty, it's sinful, and Jesus could not be sinful. So he refutes that idea. The teaching that we hold to is that Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. It's called hypostatic union. It means when God became man and he dwelt among us. How did this happen? A miraculous work of the Spirit that will never be repeated again, but that was Jesus, the true teaching in regards to Jesus. And the other thing, the second form of their teaching was that Christ's Spirit descended on him in his baptism and just before he was crucified, the Spirit of Christ left the body of Jesus. That was the other form of the of the Gnostic teaching, because they remember they believe that matter is evil. So therefore, Jesus cannot be uh, uh, cannot even be suffering. They, they could not reconcile. How could the creator God suffer? How could he be killed? So they said his spirit came in baptism and then was de- departed before he suffered because they didn't believe in a suffering savior. So this Gnostic idea that matter was evil and only spirit was good led to the idea that either the body should be treated harshly or that the spirit of Uh, sorry, the body should be treated harshly. They said that the spirit of man is what matters. So the teaching went as far as this. Because it's only your spirit that is saved and that's what matters, listen to me very carefully, whatever you do in your physical body doesn't matter. So they taught that the, the most grotesque forms of sin, sinful living was okay. It doesn't matter what you do in your physical body because your physical body is sinful and, and it's going to remain here. So it's your spirit that is connected with God. So you have fellowship with God in your spirit. So what you do in your body does not matter. That was the teaching that they held on to. So in light of this context, let's go to 1 John chapter 5, no, chapter five, 1, verse 5 to 10. Chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. This, after he said, we've, we've held him, we've seen him after all that, he said, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Number one, John said, God is light. That's very important. He's saying God, he didn't say God is a light, because if you say God is a light, you're saying he's an option among many options. What John is saying is that there is none that compare to him. God is light. He is not a light. He is not the light. He is light. His essence, his character, he is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So I want you to remember what the Gnostics were teaching. The popular teaching that was in era of that day was that you can live however you want at the same time say that I walk with God. So, so John is teaching from the scripture, from the truth, from what he heard Christ saying himself about what it means to, tr- to truly follow Jesus. In him, there is no darkness at all. Let me keep reading and I'll, and I'll break down this passage. If we claim to have fellowship with him, that is with Jesus, and yet walk in the, in the darkness, we lie we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, number one, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies. Another translation says, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So he's coming against the Gnostic teaching, the idea that you can reach a level where even sin is not even, there's no sin. You can't sin in your body. Your spirit is saved, and that's all that matters. So he challenges the claim of the false teachers. He first says to them, after he said, God is light. He said, we must claim, the claim to say that we are walking in darkness must be compared, our claim must be compared with our walk. That's the first comparison. Let's go to verse number six. Listen to what he said. If we claim, that means we say, we profess with our mouth that we know Jesus, that we walk with Him, that we are in a relationship with God, if we claim that, and then he said this, if we claim we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk. So the word walk right there, it doesn't mean fall. It doesn't mean uh, sometimes making mistakes. It doesn't mean sometimes doing things that, that really displeases God. No, it means living a lifestyle of sin. So later on, I've already shared with you last week that no one that is born of God lives a continuously habitual lifestyle of sin. And then he said this, So our claims of knowing God or being in a fellowship with him is tested by our walk. These false teachers claim to be in fellowship with Jesus, but their walk exposed their claim. So they were walking a sinful lifestyle, but they claimed that that they knew God and that they walked with him. And then the second thing that he said is this. He said, we lie and we do not live out the truth. So the test John puts out from for them and anyone else who claims to have fellowship with Christ is that we do not walk in darkness. The word fellowship in the Greek, it means kononia, and this is what that word means. Uh, David Guzik, who is a commentator, he said this. Fellowship speaks of a sharing, a communion, a common bond, a common life. It speaks of living breathing, sharing, and a loving relationship with another person. So to say that I have fellowship with Christ and then live in darkness is in essence, that's, that's not his commentary, but I'm, I'm continuing, saying that I am living as God in this lifestyle that I'm living. So when you say I have fellowship with Jesus and you walk in darkness, what you're saying in essence is that I this lifestyle that I'm living is the way God is living. Because the word fellowship means to walk in closeness, to have something that is in common union. Union. That's why in the book of Acts you see the believers had everything in common. They had koinonia, they had fellowship together. Because God is light, there is no darkness in Him at all. So when we are in darkness, it is not on God's part, but it is on our part. So that is why we must be careful not to blame God for acts of darkness, because in Him, there is no darkness at all, because God is light. You know, when we say that, God, you are the reason that you did this, this thing happened to me because of you, do you know that we are actually, in essence, blaspheming God? Because John is teaching us here There is not even one speck of darkness in God. He is light and there is no darkness in him. So any act of darkness that even has been done toward us is not because of God. I've come across this in many times when I've counseled people. You know, when we have gone through life experiences, sometimes dark moments in our life, you know, one of the things that the enemy wants us to do is to blame God. It's to say, God, you are the reason behind this. You are the reason why I am like this. But that is to say that God was part of darkness. So John is saying, no, in God, there is no darkness. So then why did these things happen? Because the darkness is not on God's part, it is on our part. Now let me go on to explain what that means. And he said this, but if we walk in the light, if you so this is a way to test ourselves. If we're saying we walk in the light, John gives us two things. He gives us two things. The first thing, he said, if we're truly walking in the light, we have kononia, fellowship with one another. So walking in the light is obviously walking with God. So that's the first thing. That's an obvious statement. But John is going a step further and he's saying that a characteristic of someone that is walking with God or walking in the light is that they enjoy the fellowship of one another, of believers. They don't have a hate for people, but there is a supernatural love for people that God gives. Now, I'm going to share this further down of what it means to one way we can test ourselves, whether we are in the faith, but he mentions that. And then second thing that he said is this. I love this. He said, a way that we know that we're walking in the light is that the blood of Jesus purifies and cleanses, cleanses us from all sin. Can you go to that verse? Let's go to verse number seven. He said this, verse number seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's a way that we can know. And number two, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies or cleanses us from all sin. So do you know what that means? Walking with God doesn't mean that we are sinless. Walking with God doesn't mean that we do not sin, because that is one of the wrong understanding that I had when I came to Christ. I thought that every single time that I fell in sin in a particular area, that that I betrayed God and I didn't know God or God was not in my life. No, John explains it very clearly, and I'll illustrate that through a story in the Bible for you shortly. So walking in the light is not about the absence of sin, but the solution or the remedy of sin is always working in us. Notice what John said, that the blood of Jesus can cleanse us or purify us from all sin. That means there is no one in this room that has done something That the blood of Jesus is not powerful enough to cleanse and forgive us off. There is not one person in this room, no matter what your background is, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have sinned in, there is nothing that you have done for the blood of Jesus to not cleanse you and purify you. Do you know one thing that I love about the Corinthian church? There were many in the church with, with horrific backgrounds. He said, Some of you remember were homosexuals. Some of you were murderers. Some of you were this, but the blood of Jesus purified them. And that same blood that flowed 2,000 years ago, young people and young adults, is the same blood that cleansed my life. It's the same blood that cleanses every single person who calls upon the name of Jesus. It cleanses us from all sin, no matter what sin. The blood of Jesus is a powerful cleansing agent. You see, the blood of Abel speaks vengeance. That's what the blood of Abel did. When Cain killed his brother Abel, the blood of Abel was screaming out, and God heard the cry of the blood of Abel, and he was screaming out this is not fair justice let vengeance come but in hebrews the bible says but the blood of jesus speaks a better word you see the blood of jesus doesn't scream to our sin vengeance justice why because the the justice the vengeance that we deserved was upon him upon christ he was condemned so that we will walk in freedom so the blood of jesus speaks a better word it says forgiveness forgiveness so the blood of jesus The person that walks with God, it's not that they don't sin, but they have the blood of Jesus access all the time to cleanse them from their sin. And the person that knows God, walks in the light, does sin, but they confess their sin when they do. This is how you know when you're walking with God. You know, before when I when I came to Christ, I was I grew up in a Christian household and my parents always taught me about God. They did everything that they can to teach me about God. That's why I know that Christianity is not something that you inherit, it's something that God has to open your eyes and reveal for yourself. You know, yesterday we had the privilege of sharing the gospel with Zoe. And I don't know if she how much fully she understood it, but she said, I want to receive Jesus into my life. And every moment that we get in this short life that she has, we're going to use it. And we held hands and we prayed and she received Jesus into her life and we celebrated and we said, I hope that you understand. She said, I love Jesus. I'm like, we might have many conversations like this, but, but, but I know I can't inherit my faith to her. God has to do a work inside of her heart to open her eyes so that she can be forgiven of her sins herself. But do you know what John is teaching here? Let's, let's keep going to the next verse. Let's go back to, yeah. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because that's what these false teachers claimed. That they have reached a level that they're in essence sinless. Because whatever they did in the body didn't matter. But do you know what John is saying? He's reminding us if we claim... You know those there's some even today, super Christians, we claim that we're not sinning, we have not sinned. He's saying, You Deceived, and the truth is not in you. Do you know how I live my day, my life? Every single day, I say, God, I thank you. I thank you for I know I sin, for I know I have sinned because that the standard is not me comparing myself to Abel, is not me comparing myself to Josiah, because that's what we do as human beings. The standard is the truth of the gospel, and I know every day I fail Him. That's why I'm on my knees and I say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. You know, sometimes we think pastors they have this super spiritual ability to not be tempted by sin and to not be tempted by the things that I am tempted with the same temptations that you are tempted with I flick through the same thing and the same pictures come the same videos come the same temptations come and and I rely I rely on the blood of Jesus the grace of God and the mercy of God to sustain me and the danger is when we come to a place where we say i am without sin so he's showing a person that walks in the light it's not that they do not sin but what do they do when they sin let's keep let's keep going what did he say he said but if we are so we do not it's not that we do not so we do sin but he said when a person that walks with god we confess our sin and when we confess our sin he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to, c- to forgive us. To say we have reached a perfection level where we do not sin is to be self-deceived, and the truth is not in us. Do you know what the word confess means? You'll remember this for the rest of your life. It simply just means this. The word confess means to say the same thing as. So when we sin, this is what confession means. So when a person walks with God, this is how a person that walks with God knows that they're walking with God. When they fall in sin, when they have sinned, they say the same thing as God about their sin. They say the same. Confessing is saying God... I know that this action or this thought or this whatever that I've done is sin against you and I agree with you. I say the same thing as you. I don't excuse it. I don't blame it. I say God no. I say the same thing as you do about this. And that is what John is teaching in this particular verses, that to walk with God, our relationship with sin has to ultimately change. If you fall in sin and you're walking with God and He doesn't do anything to you, you have to question, do I know Him? But when a Christian that walks with Him falls in sin, always they know that they confess to their Savior and they know this confidence that God is faithful to forgive them of all unrighteousness. I'll never forget T.D. Jakes, an analogy that he used. He said, when we become Christians, it's a change in nature. And he said, there is a pig and there is a sheep. Let's just say the pig resembled someone that doesn't know Christ. And let's just say the sheep resembled someone that knows Christ. And he said, I'll get the pig and I'll get the sheep and I'll throw them both in the same mud. And let's just say the mud resembled the same sin. So the Christian fell in the same sin and the non-Christian fell in the same sin. The, the, what do you think the sheep will say in the mud and what do you think the pig will do in the mud? And he said the sheep will cry out because that's not what, where it belongs. It knows that it belongs in the green pasture. But what would the pig do? He said the pig will roll and, and enjoy it and, 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 and just indulge in it because that's its environment. So the difference is we have a change in nature. So our relationship with, chi- with sin ultimately changes. So when I used to sin before Christ, I enjoyed it, I loved it, I couldn't wait for the next uh, whatever it was that I did. But once I had a revelation of the truth, once I began to walk with God, my attitude to sin is completely transformed. I'm not going against saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. Now, when I'm a Christian, I'm saying, God, I have, I have sinned. I have sinned against you. Have mercy upon me. I'm going to share with you a story you all are familiar with. I'm not going to go too much into detail. But this story is a story of David. And David, you know David. David was probably one of the most prime example of a man that walked with God. Even God had a testimony about him. I mean, when you have the creator of the universe having a testimony about you, that, I mean, you, you, you're you walking with God. And, and he was someone that loved God. He was someone that obeyed God. He was someone that, that used to play the music so skillfully that demons would just, just him playing instrument, not singing, just him playing the melody, the demons would leave uh, you know, the king's soul. They would just leave him. That's what the Bible said. And, and, and it was just an amazing young man. He was young, he was short, he was good looking. The Bible says he was short, but he had the Spirit of God upon him. And you know the story. One day, he got caught up. He got caught up in, in something that he shouldn't be, and he saw a woman, and he loved her, and he said, I want her. And, and, and when, when the prophet came to confront him, he said, the reason why you did that, by the way, is because you despised the Word of God. But he's a man that loves God and he finds himself in a situation where he has sinned against God. He fell in this particular thing. And and now, what does a man that walks with God do when he's in such a situation? And we see a prime example of what John is teaching us in the life of David. You know, Craig David will say to us that he wasn't me. Some of you don't know the song, you understand what I'm saying. But someone, see, the world will tell us that, isn't it? The world will always say, no, that's not me. It's not an excuse. We'll find a blaming thing. We'll find a way to say, oh, it's because of this and because of that. But the heart that knows God will say this. So what, you know the story. Nathan comes up to him and he gives him this analogy and he says, oh, he got angry. You see, it's easy to be angry about someone else's sin. But when, it, when the tables turn about you, then then that's what we know where your heart is. So when, when he tells him those, this man a story that did this and did that, read the story for yourself, did this and did that, what do you think should happen as a king? He burned with anger and he said that person should pay double and he should be put to death, this, this, this. And I love Nathan because Nathan was a man that walked with God. Nathan was not one of those prophets that said the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you, go and everything will be well with you. You know those prophets, the false prophets that existed? People, you know, they just want their money. So their people are living in sin. That is, they're like, yeah, God will bless you. Go ahead, do whatever you want. No, he wasn't that type of prophet. He was a prophet that heard from the Lord. He was a prophet that walked with God. And when he went to King David, he could have got killed. But when King David did that, the Lord said, go and confront him. So after David said that judgment upon himself, do you know what Nathan said? He said, King David, the man is you. Do you know what King David did? When he was confronted, one year, by the way, one year, he went without confessing his sin. One year, he lived. And now, he writes a psalm for us. He writes a psalm for us to explain to us that one year, when a man that walked with God, when God was calling him to confess, repent, and turn, He didn't do it, so he sent a prophet to to confront him. He explained to us what happened in the span of one year when he did not humble himself and go to God. Let's go to Psalm chapter 32. So Psalm chapter 51 is his confession story. We know about that, but most of you probably don't know this. But Psalm 32 is him describing his condition when he was not uh, confessing his sin and he was hiding it. This is what he said. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to what David himself said. Let's go to the passage, uh, Psalm 32, verse number three now, because I want you to really see this. When I kept silent, when I covered, remember what David did? He killed the, uh, Bathsheba's husband. He covered everything up. He said, when I kept silent, by the way, it's what Adam and Eve did. Instead of saying, God, they covered themselves. They tried to hide from God. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. He's explaining, he's saying, God, when I was hiding my face from you, when I was trying to cover it up, I was suffering. He's saying it was even my physical body was even affected. And then he said this, number five, I love this. Then, this is what God wants when we walk with him. Then I acknowledged my sin to you i began to say the same thing as you in other words i confess my sin to you and i did not cover up my iniquity i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and guess what what did god do and you forgave me and my guilt of and the guilt of my sin therefore he gives an instruction let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found Young adults and youth, hear me very carefully. I say this with a loving heart. There is an idea that I grew up believing that one day when I'm ready, when I've done everything that I want to do, I will give my life to Jesus then. You are not promised tomorrow. What David is teaching us in this very passage, he's saying, while there is time, repent and turn from your sin and come back to God. While he may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. And then he said this, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you. Now God is speaking through him. God is saying, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the ways that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. He said, do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bits or brittle or they will not come to you. Do you know what God was saying to David? He's saying the horse and the mill, to, to control the horse, you have to put some devices on them and then force them. God is saying, don't, force, don't make me force you to come to you. Come willingly and confess to me because the heart of God is not to condemn us but the heart of God is to free us. He said many... Are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. That's one of the favorite psalms that I go to, to remind myself. When a person that walks with God and knows God falls in sin, they are quick to come to their Savior and confess to him. And when David waited that one year, he saw the suffering in it. But do you know what I love about David. When the prophet confronted him, he humbled himself and he prayed this amazing prayer. Read it for yourself. Psalm 51, he confessed his sin. He said the same thing as God and God wiped his slate clean and he began to teach others. As I finish, I want to share with you another story. One more story. which perfectly illustrates the heart of God. When, it meet, when, when we say we have fellowship with God, we walk with God, what is our relationship with sin? I want to read for you this story. It's found in John chapter 8 and it's uh, from verse 1 to 12 and I'll ask those who are following this scripture to just slowly go through this with me. But the Bible says this, if I can get a chair, let me get a chair and, and illustrate this for you. And, and the Bible says this, that John, um, sorry, that Jesus was in the Mount of Olives. And, and he said that as he was at the Mount of Olives at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where Jesus will often go to teach people this, uh, his instruction and his words. And he said this. He was teaching at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him So you can imagine in this particular context, Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching them. He's teaching them the truth. They've never heard a teacher such as Jesus before. And and as he's teaching the people, a lot of people are gathered around him hearing what kind of man is this? What is this truth that comes from his lips? And he says, verse number three, that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, that they brought in a woman who was caught in adultery this woman was literally caught in the act of adultery now I want you to just imagine with me for the moment picture picture the scene now Jesus is teaching and as he's teaching he's interrupted by these religious people bringing a woman who was caught how embarrassing is that who was caught in the act of adultery they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. And I just want you to picture the scene. Illustrations are powerful. And they're all grabbing stones and, and rocks with them. And they're, and they're wanting to test Jesus. They're wanting to capture him. And, 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 and we're going to see in this particular story the heart of God for us and what we normally think God is like and they said teacher this woman was caught in the act in the law now what do you say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him but Jesus the Bible says he bent down and he began to write something on the ground with his finger when they kept on questioning him he straightened up and he said something to the people that came Accusing this woman. Jesus said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to to throw a stone at her. And again, he just sat down and he began to write on the ground. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he just just went down and he began to write They just are seeing what they're going to do. What are they going to do? Are they in sin? What are they going to do? And the Bible says this. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left. Can we go to the scripture? And then it says this. With the woman still standing there, I want you to see the heart of Jesus through this particular story. With the woman still standing there, he picks her up. Then he said this. Let's go to the next verse. Jesus straightened up and asked her, "Woman, where are they? Has no one has no one condemned you?" Because because the Lord did say that. The Lord did say that. When you were caught in adultery, that the consequence of that sin was death, death by stone. But Jesus was saying something profound here: "If you righteous people because you rely, they relied on their own righteousness, if you are without sin, then throw the stone at her." And they each one by one left until one person stood, and his name was Jesus. And this Jesus was the only sinless person that had the authority to throw the stone and condemn her and kill her. You know, often, especially when you're young, you think that this is God. We think that God is after us, that he's a party (laughs) pooper, that he doesn't want us to have fun. And it's a bunch of rules and instruction. It's not. It's, It's not. Rules and instruction is religion. But walking with God is about freedom. And the more I become a parent, the more I, I, I saw it as raising children, the more I understood. You know, my parents always used to say to me, when you have children, I'm sorry, they always say that to me. <laughs> you know, with everything, don't worry. When you have children, you'll test it yourself, taste it yourself. And I saw it. And I'm like, and Jesus always compared that. He said, if you wicked people know how to do good things for your children, how much more? So in this story, we see the heart of God. And this is the, the, the end of this story. Let's go to it verse, the next verse, and she said, no one, she, sir, she looked around, and you can picture in this story, she said, no one, sir, then he said, neither do I condemn you, you see, when, when, when we fall in sin, the heart of God is not to condemn us, but it's to free us, and Jesus declared, go now, and leave your life of sin, do you see that there, you know, we think, that this is the heart of God. God, I, I confess, I repent, and we go now and live, L-I-V-E, our life of sin. Jesus didn't say L-I-V-E. He said L-E-A-V-E. He didn't say live. He said leave. He said, now I have not condemned you. I have forgiven you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And she went away, and she went without her accusers being there. You know, young adults. I was listening to this song this morning, and we're going to play it, but I want you to know that this is the heart of God. The heart of God for us who walk with God is not, when we sin, is not for us to, to, to continuously walk in it, but the person that walks with God, he turns from his sin. John chapter 3, verse 17 to 21, and I'm going to play this song, and we're going to finish our service today. You know, when we see John chapter 3, we know, we know this one thing. John chapter 3, everyone thinks of verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I encourage you to keep reading that verse, that chapter, sorry. Listen to what verse 17 to 21 says, literally the following verses. For God did not send His Son into the world, To condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Check this out, verse number 19. This is the verdict light has come into the world but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed but whoever believes sorry whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that what is being seen plainly uh, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Can you see the difference? The person that is in the light is not afraid of the light, is not afraid of being, because we already know we're already exposed before God, anyways. But Jesus was saying here, the light has come, but you're not coming to the light because you love darkness. So, my friends, I plead with you from my heart. I don't know who you are in this room, but I'm telling you to walk with God. It means that we have a hate relationship with sin. We don't love it anymore. We hate darkness. And when we hate darkness, that means we love and embrace light. In this song, it's, it's the blessing of God that is straight scripture that is being declared. But I want you to just close your eyes for a moment and hear the words of this song. Because this is the heart of God. He wants us to go and He is for us. He's not against us. He is with us in everything, and in this struggle with sin, I know God has taken our sin away on the cross, but living with God doesn't mean we don't battle with sin. As long as we're in this world, temptations will come. As long as we're in this world, we'll be faced with many things, many challenges, but the person that truly walks with God in the light fights against sin. The person that truly walks with God in the light confesses their sin. The person that truly walks with God knows that they're not condemned and they don't go back to the sinful living. They leave their sin and they trust God in faith as they move forward. Let's go to the song. Holy Spirit to help us fight against sin and, and young people the idea of this series is to show us it's not to test the person on your right or your left is to test yourself am I truly walking in the light am I truly walking with God do I hate the darkness or do I love the darkness and if you are in that position where you have not turned from your sin and fully committed your heart and faith in Christ I encourage you to do so can you quickly go back to John chapter eight and I'm gonna get Manuel to come up and he's gonna share something with us. We can put the light up a bit, but let's go to John chapter eight, the last verse, which is verse number 12. So after he said to the woman, I declare now, go, I haven't condemned you. He said, I condemn, I do not condemn you. Now he said, go now and leave your life of sin. Leave it behind. Yes, you were caught, but I want you to know my heart. Jesus was the exact representation of God. If you you want to know what God is like, read the Gospels. How he interacted with with those that people rejected. That's Jesus. That's how God treats us. And he told this woman, I don't condemn you, but my heart is for you to leave that behind you. Listen to the next verse. Verse number 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people. So she goes and he begins, continues teaching. He said this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk, habitually walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the heart of Jesus for us is this, that when we walk with him, we walk in the light as he is in the light. And when we're in the light, we will sin, we will struggle with sin at times, but the person that knows the Lord, they're quick to repent, they're quick to confess, and they're quick to turn from that. You don't stay in that condition. You turn from that and you continue to follow him. Amen? No condemnation, no guilt in Jesus' name. Amen? Now, I got Emmanuel up